0: This is The Guardian.
1: I'm Regid Ahmed, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. Last week, outside a Manhattan courtroom, Donald Trump addressed the media.
0: What we've run is a great company that's been proven. This was a political witch hunt for election interference but also for getting somebody elected because you wanted to get the publicity. It's a disgrace and they should pay me damage.
1: It was the latest extraordinary moment in one of many for the former president. He faces multiple civil and criminal lawsuits, some of which could potentially end in a jail term if he's convicted. Donald Trump denies all allegations. So, in a U.S. presidential election year, what impact will these lawsuits have on his chances of getting back inside the White House? Today, The Guardian's U.S. political investigations reporter, Hugo Lowell, on the cases against Donald Trump. It's Friday, the 19th of January.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?
1: Hugo, can you give us an idea of what the most serious cases are that Donald Trump is currently facing?
0: Yeah, so there's four criminal cases in total. Uh, I think the two biggest ones for him from a legal perspective is the federal January 6th case, which alleges he uh, conspired to overturn the results of the 2020 election uh, nationally and is being brought by the special counsel Jack Smith in D.C., and the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case in Florida, and that alleges that Trump um, absconded from the White House at the end of his term with a bunch of classified documents, defied a uh, a subpoena to return them, and then uh, obstructed justice when the government tried to retrieve those uh, records. He's also facing a state case in Georgia that's charging him with violating the state's racketeering statute over his efforts to overturn the election, specifically in the state of Georgia. And there's also a case brought by the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg in New York, and that's to do with hush money. He uh, is alleged to have paid an adult film star before the 2016 election.
1: There's a lot of cases to keep across. Some of those you mentioned have been moving very, very slowly. We haven't heard a lot about Georgia, for example, but we did see a couple of cases in the headlines. One of them was to do with that January 6th case you mentioned, and it was an appeal. We saw something move on that last week. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, I was in the uh, federal courthouse in Washington last week for oral arguments in the federal January 6th case. What was at issue was Trump trying to argue that he could not be prosecuted In that case, because he enjoyed some sort of presidential immunity, essentially, the argument goes under Trump's expansive interpretation of executive power, you know, anything that a president does that is within, quote, the outer perimeter of his official duties cannot be prosecuted. And he added the second argument about how it was almost like double jeopardy because he had previously been impeached after January 6th, but then acquitted in the Senate. And of course, double jeopardy is the situation where you can't be prosecuted for the same crime twice. And so his lawyers had filed a motion to get himself out of the federal January 6th case. The district court rejected those arguments. He appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the the Washington, D.C. Circuit, uh, and we got to the stage of oral arguments.
1: And he actually appeared at that court case when he didn't need to. Why is he doing that?
0: Politics very straightforwardly you know Trump has discovered in the last year that these legal problems are actually beneficial for him with his most diehard supporters you know we're in the middle of a Republican presidential primary contest and he has found that every time he complains about his legal problems he is able to fundraise of those events. And he is able to boost his poll numbers by claiming that, you know, these are partisan political witch hunts. And when he goes to these events in person, he likes to give little press conferences at the end, although they're not really press conferences. He doesn't take questions. They're more of like a, you know, a statement session where he gives, a, a, he gives remarks to camera and he blasts them out to his fundraising email lists. And all of his donors donate a lot of money he didn't have to be there for legal reasons. He wasn't arguing the case, as the appellate lawyers were. But really for him, this is about trying the case as much as he can in the court of public opinion and to appeal to his most loyal MAGA uh, supporters for, for support.
1: And we saw that in New York as well, the civil case that's against him. It's a fraud case. It's to do with his businesses. He attended and spoke at that hearing as well.
0: Yeah, the New York civil fraud case that's been brought by the New York Attorney General Letitia James has been a personally painful case for him. What's at stake really is his entire business empire, the Trump organization. He is alleged to have uh, effectively engaged in fraud. And the judge determined this before the trial that he was engaged in fraudulent activity because he would represent, for instance, square footage as being smaller than it was to the taxman in order to get a tax break, but then inflate those asset values when he was trying to get loans from places like Deutsche Bank because he would get more favorable loan terms. And so he was, you know, misrepresenting on both sides and, uh, and, and the case revolves around that. But the penalties civilly for him are very big. It can mean that he might not be able to operate his businesses in, in New York going forward. And so he made a point of going personally to closing arguments. He was determined to go and he was determined to testify in his own defense. And the judge went back and forth on this question in advance of his appearance, uh, because every time Trump gets on the stand, he says things that are inflammatory and he says things that are extraneous, you know, he got on the stand and was complaining about the judge being partisan, and it really has no place in in, in a court of law. And at one point, um, Justice N'Goron, who's the presiding judge in that case, looked at Trump's lawyers and said, you know, please control your client. So I think, again, this is to do more with politics, to do more with his own image, with his self-branding and his PR than to do with any sort of legal case, because frankly, at this point, you know that the, the judge has already decided that you know Trump and the Trump organization engaged in an activity, and it's really just a question of how much damages and how much disgorgement the Trump organization is going to have to pay.
1: I mean, we should say at this point that Donald Trump has denied all the allegations to do with with all of his cases, and he's repeatedly uh, protested his innocence. I want to come back to what you've said a little bit earlier about how this is a bit of a public relations exercise for Donald Trump. Has it helped with Donald Trump appearing at these hearings and speaking and then giving those press conferences? Has it helped with his popularity within the Republican Party?
0: Yes, very much so. We we have actually seen in the last year when he has been indicted. Every time he's been indicted, his poll numbers have gone up relative to the rest of the Republican primary field it's kind of perverse in some ways right i mean no other political candidate in history ever probably has been criminally indicted and 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 have seen their poll numbers rise but i think that's where we are with the republican party today in the in the united states i think people who believe in trumpism and and think trump is being kind of politically persecuted feel more compelled to support him At each juncture, every time he gets hit with more legal woes, they think, you know, this is just the deep state coming after him. And I don't know if they want to show solidarity with him or they feel like, you know, they they want to make a stand and they want to, you know, know, stick two fingers up at the establishment. Right. And so his numbers have gone up and tied to that is the fundraising which is obviously so big in american politics and the fundraising boost that he has gotten off all of his legal problems has been extraordinary you know we speak to a lot of advisors and a lot of people close to trump and even they have been surprised at the the outpouring of support from his from his uh, fans and they're really small dollar donors they're giving like $1 you know $2 $10 $15 but when you have a base as large as he does it amounts to a lot and uh, it it is certainly benefiting politically.
1: I find it extraordinarily counterintuitive that someone who's facing so many legal woes generates uh, popularity from it amongst his supporters. But we're talking about this, and this is important because it is a presidential election year in the United States. Uh, And we're going to see Americans uh, vote in November for uh, either Biden or whoever becomes the Republican nominee. And uh, if that's Donald Trump, That's the question before Americans. Now, there have been some court cases to do with the uh, Republican nomination ballot. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, so there have been numerous ballot challenges against Trump. There's a provision in the U.S. Constitution that says insurrectionists or people who have aided and um, engaged in insurrection may not hold office in the United States. And in individual states, various groups or even individuals, have filed uh, motions in state court arguing that Trump should be off the ballot over his role in January 6. And they alleged and have alleged that Trump uh, effectively engaged in insurrection when his supporters stormed the Capitol and interrupted the the congressional certification of the, the 2020 election results. And those ballot challenges have succeeded in two states, in Colorado and in Maine. And the first was in Colorado. And I think that that's why the Colorado case has gotten so much attention because the state Supreme Court effectively agreed that Trump had engaged in insurrection. And that was novel because that was the first time we've got a really high state court saying that and found that Trump should be disqualified from the Republican primary ballot because he engaged in insurrection. This kind of set the, set the tone, Maine followed. And so we now have this question because Trump is going to appeal uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court whether or not this is valid.
1: And of course, we'll say again, Donald Trump denies any wrongdoing here. But this is a big deal because it's going to put the Supreme Court kind of at the centre of American elections in a way we haven't seen since Al Gore and George W. Bush.
0: It's a really big deal. You know, the way the Supreme Court comes out of this uh, is going to markedly change how this election will, will proceed this year. Because they've got two options, right? They can either keep Trump on the ballot or they can remove him. If they keep him on the ballot, there will be a lot of hand-wringing and a lot of complaints over, you know, what is that section of the Constitution even for if it doesn't apply to Trump? Like, you know, the whole point was to keep people who gave aid or comfort to an insurrection to not run for for the presidency. That's what the founders intended when they added that clause in the Constitution. But on the other hand, if they do remove Trump from the ballot uh, in those states, the effect, because it's the U.S. Supreme Court, will be felt nationwide. Any decision that the Supreme Court takes with Colorado um, or Maine will be the binding uh, case law for the entire country, for all 50 states. And this is why it's such a big deal.
1: Does that mean that if the Supreme Court says uh, that Donald Trump needs to be on the ballot for the Republican race in Colorado, then other states can't say he, he he's not allowed to be on the ballot? It becomes a blanket ruling.
0: Yeah, no, it will it will render all the other cases and appeals moot because you know the, the U.S. Supreme Court um, does have jurisdiction here. And if, if they rule that Trump can remain on the ballot, uh, that will be the, the case law in all 50 states. And you know, conversely, if they rule him to be ineligible to uh, run for the presidency, that too will be the law. But there is a slight wrinkle, and that's to do with timing. Colorado's primary is Super Tuesday in March. It could be possible that Trump has wrapped up the Republican nomination before we even get there. There's a whole bunch of early states that come before Colorado— Iowa, New Hampshire. And if he wraps up all of those early states and wins all the delegates from those states, by the time we get to Super Tuesday in Colorado, he might not need to be on the Republican primary ballot. He might already have enough delegates to win the nomination. And so this might not make a difference in the long run.
1: Hugo, you've mentioned timing. What, in your opinion, is Donald Trump's legal strategy here?
0: You know, Trump has made no secret of the fact that his underlying legal strategy for all of the criminal cases is to delay. If he can delay beyond the 2024 election, then that is what he wants. Uh, And that's because I think there is a fear inside his campaign that for all of the support that Trump has gotten from MAGA voters, there is a fear that independent voters and kind of regular voters in a general election might not look too kindly upon Trump if he is a convicted felon, right? Right now, he is an indicted uh, uh, defendant in these criminal cases. If these cases go to trial for the election and he is convicted, there is a fear that voters will see that as disqualifying and vote for Biden or not vote for him. And they are really trying to minimize the fallout of that as much as possible. There is a plan B. The plan B is if they can't delay it past the 2024 election, then they want trials to occur as close to 2024 election as possible. Because then, and this is through our kind of conversations with senior advisors to the Trump campaign, they can try and cast the outcome of those trials if he is convicted as political. And they would say, oh, you know, the fact that these cases went to trial right before the election show that they're crooked. You know, we should not have gone to trial before the election. It's all political. And, you know, you have to support Trump at the ballot box in November. So their strategy is to delay, and they have been pretty good at that so far by waging what uh, I think the legal profession refers to as lawfare, uh, effectively using the slow wheels of the uh, justice system and the federal court system to try and push back the scheduled trial dates.
1: So if we fast forward a little bit more and Donald Trump does become president again, what happens to these cases?
0: They go away, in in short. Um, If Trump wins the presidency, he will have the power to appoint the attorney general. It is almost a given that Trump will appoint an attorney general who is loyal to him and who would be willing to dispense of these cases. Uh, and the way that works is the attorney general that he has handpicked will go to the special counsel's office and say, hey, special counsel, as the head of the Justice Department, I have decided we are not going to pursue these cases anymore. We're going to drop them. And so in an instant, the two federal cases brought by the special counsel, Jack Smith, would disappear. If they are, let's say they had not been adjudicated at trial and we're still waiting trial, the case would never go to trial. If he's been convicted, Trump would then, and, and this has been debated and it's not even clear whether he would have the power to do so, but he would probably attempt to self-pardon or to try and get himself a pardon for those cases and have the legal liability washed away. Now, for the state cases, it's a little bit more complicated. He can't self-pardon or or kind of absolve himself in, in the state cases because state courts have their own jurisdiction and sovereignty, but he would be effectively protected from any legal liability for the four years that he's in office because uh, effectively under the supremacy clause, the constitution state cannot impede federal officers from doing their jobs. And Trump would obviously, as president, be a federal officer. So he would be protected for the four years he's in office from any sort of liability. And what's not to say that Trump would find some sort of legal avenue to uh, insulate himself from liability?
1: Normally, you would think somebody with so many legal troubles, something like this would really work against them in politics. But are these court cases essentially a win for Donald Trump because he can use them to his political advantage?
0: There's no doubt that these cases are benefiting him politically insofar as the Republican primary contest. Every time there is legal development in any of these cases... All the TV networks here, you know, we get wall-to-wall, effectively, coverage of Trump's legal cases. That has had the effect of drowning out all the other rivals in the the Republican primary field, whether it's Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Vivek Ramaswamy or whoever. And they just can't get airtime. They can't get exposure because all anyone is talking about on TV is Trump and his legal cases. And Trump has always believed that any publicity is good publicity, regardless of if it's negative. And, you know, this is obviously decidedly negative. But by virtue of sucking up all of the oxygen in the political discourse, he has effectively managed to box out the other candidates. And that has, I think, only continued to elevate his profile, especially among Republican voters.
1: His supporters really do not believe he's done anything wrong.
0: Absolutely not. They think he is the equivalent of a political martyr. They think, you know, the, the, the government is, is the deep state in the establishment, um, are determined to keep Trump out of the White House, and they will do anything to make sure he loses, which only invigorates them more. And the writing is on the wall, and the writing is very clear that every time there's a negative development uh, on a legal front, Trump benefits. The real question is whether that will continue after the Republican primaries, when we're in the general election, and voters have to weigh whether they want to choose Trump or, you know, if he is the nominee, or Biden. And it will also depend on where he is in his criminal cases, because, you know, if he has been convicted before the election, they may factor that into their voting decision. And of course, that is the one fear that the Trump campaign has.
1: Just finally, I want to ask you, as a journalist, do you often look at what's happening, a former president running for re-election with all these legal cases in the background and think this is an extraordinary time to be doing what I'm doing, that it's, it's almost seems unreal?
0: I think it's an extraordinary time. But then, you know, we have been saying that every year since Trump came onto the seat in 2016, you know, every year seemed to get more and more extraordinary. I mean, if you think about the timeline of how we got to this point, you know, in 2016, we had Hillary Clinton's emails, Trump saying, you know, at a rally, you know, Russia, if you're listening, you know, hack Hillary's emails. And then in 2017, we had the start of the Mueller investigation looking at, you know, Trump's ties to to, to Russia. And then we had his impeachment. And then we had COVID and his handling of the COVID pandemic. And then we had, you know, at the end of his term, January 6th. Uh, And the second impeachment and every year seemed to get crazier and crazier. And then we, you know, the year after he left office, we had the January 6th committee in Congress uh, investigating Trump over over the January 6th uh, Capitol attack. And then midway through 2022, we got news that the FBI was investigating his retention of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. And then in 2023, he got indicted. And in 2024, we're now going to trial in these cases, while we have a presidential election going on, and I think to say it's extraordinary is an understatement. And I don't think the country and the world is quite prepared for what could come next. You know, I think as someone who has covered January 6 now for a very long time, and then kind of, you know, reports on the Trump orbit and Trump's legal problems a lot, it's very serious for Trump this time, right? In all the other previous years, he had some sort of protection cloak, whether it was the protection on the presidency or whether it was the protection of, you know, just being on a criminal investigation but not yet indicted. Now it's different. His entire freedom rests on him winning the election. And I've actually started to wonder what happens if he doesn't win the election. You know, we thought the post-election period in 2020 was crazy. We had, you know, fake electors. We had, you know, Roger Stone and other, you know, Trump political operatives running around saying the election was stolen. We had Trump saying the election was stolen. We had Trump calling up the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, saying, I just need you to find me 11,000 so votes. What's going to happen this time in 2024 if he doesn't win the election, when his actual freedom is on the line? I don't think people quite understand or can quite comprehend the stakes. And I'm kind of wary of thinking about it because, to a large degree, it is extremely scary.
1: That was Hugo Lowell, The Guardian's US political investigations reporter based in Washington. If you want to read more of our coverage on the trials of Donald Trump, go to theguardian.com. That's it for today. This episode was produced and mixed by Camilla Hannan. The executive producer is Hannah Parks. I'm Reggie Ahmed, and we'll be back with another episode of Full Story on Monday.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news! Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com newsadfree That's amazon.com newsadfree to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Alberts, now in fresh colors. Visit Alberts.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot code SUPER24.